If you know even a little bit about the New Testament, and I asked you kind of in a general way, who do you think wrote most of the New Testament? You'd probably go right to Paul and think, yeah, Paul wrote all those letters. He wrote to, to Romans and, and to the Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, and, and some personal letters to Timothy and Philemon. So it must have been Paul. Or maybe you'd think John, because John wrote the Gospel of John, and then John wrote letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So, so maybe it's John that wrote most of it. Well, as you might have guessed by now, it's actually Luke. If you take all of the Gospel of Luke and combine it with all of the book of Acts, that is more in terms of chapters, words, than all of Paul's letters combined, than all of John's writings combined. And now, as sort of a caveat to that, if you were to include Hebrews with Paul, then that would put Paul ahead, okay? But we don't know who wrote Hebrews. So apart from Hebrews, Luke wrote most of the New Testament. And what's interesting about that, too, is that Luke is not one of the 12. Luke is not one of the apostles. Luke is, as far as we know, wasn't even an eyewitness to Jesus. Now, he knew the eyewitnesses. Many of them he met and worked with. But, you know, look at the names attached to the books or the authors of the books. You have Matthew, one of the 12. You have Mark, who we learned about last year, was connected very closely with, with Peter and with Paul and a guy named Barnabas, which we'll learn about in, in Acts. You have um, John, of course, one a very prominent disciple. And then you have Paul, of course, writing all those letters that I alluded to a moment ago. John, and the part that he wrote, a guy named Jude, a guy named James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book. All of them were more directly connected with Jesus, were eyewitnesses to his resurrection, Paul in kind of a unique way, as he says himself, through his Damascus Road experience, which we learn about also in Acts. But Luke, who's this? And why did God entrust him with writing more of the New Testament than any other author? Well, what we're going to see today is, is four different things about Luke. And the first one is Luke was a detailed historian. These passages that I read a moment ago for this morning's reading reveal that. He wants to draw up an account of things handed down from eyewitnesses. He, he carefully investigated everything. Um, he wants to give an orderly account. He wants that, that people will know with certainty. All that is, is, is contained in the first verses of Luke. This is a man who loves history and wants to convey history very carefully in very much accurate detail. So a historian, if they were to use um, the, the Freeman children's account of their morning, okay, they would not only write that they brushed their teeth, but they might have also added the, the brand of toothpaste they use and the color of the toothbrush. And in what order did they brush their teeth and who went first? And, and did they brush their teeth reluctantly and had to be reminded or did they do it dutifully? I have to ask mom and dad about that, you know. But, but we, you know, if, if you like history, you like detail. If you don't like history, Hang in there, okay? Because <laughs> I think we all agree that, that, that history and accuracy of the history is very important. Luke does that. Thank God. 
Luke gave us this orderly account of first the the life of Jesus. He gives us detail of the birth of Jesus that you don't see in the other Gospels. And every December we read that familiar story from Acts chapter 2. And we kind of quickly read over the first couple of verses because we want to get to the good stuff. But, but what do we read over quickly? And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that there shall be a tax, blah, blah, blah. And then Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels. Oh, that was fun. You know, but... Right there. You don't, you don't gloss over that. It's there for a reason. Caesar issued a decree. You know what that is? That's real history that can be verified from outside of here. Outside of this book. Other writings will yeah, Caesar did that somewhere between what we now call 2 and 4 AD. Caesar did issue a decree and people had to go. And so there's real history, time and place. He even mentioned the governor at that time. So not just what, not what happened, but who was leading during particular times. When, when we get to the end of the book of Acts, you'll see where the Apostle Paul had to um, go to Rome by his own choice because he was accused of a crime. And as a, as a citizen of Rome, which not everyone was, especially among the Jews, he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And he did that. And so there was an appeals process that had to be walked through, not unlike what we have in our nation. You go to um, a state court and a district court, and a potentially your case could be taken all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. But you don't go straight there. There's a process. That's how it was for Paul. He went to various governors, one named Festus, one named Agrippa, before he eventually got taken before Caesar. And that's where the book of Acts ends, very abruptly, with Paul waiting to be heard before Caesar, waiting like two years. And we don't know what happened after that. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know in Scripture what happened to the Apostle Paul. There are sources outside the Bible that give hints. Uh, one of the most common ones is that when he went before Caesar, um, he was put to death. Caesar wanted nothing to do with it or didn't hear him, said, yeah, I don't want any time with you, and, and that was it. There's others that say Caesar um, set him free, and, and Paul was free to go. And then he went to Spain. There's, again, some outside sources that Paul may have actually ended up in Spain and started planting churches and perhaps even died somewhere in Spain, but we just don't know. There's, uh, if, if you are interested in history, you can look at the fact that there were many different writings during the times that the New Testament was written about Jesus and about the church that aren't in our Bible. And there's reasons for all of that. Some of them contain good history that can help us. Some of them are kind of way out there and they can tell you why we can't trust that and why it is more fiction or you know embellishing the truth kind of thing but the point is that that there was a lot that wasn't said by Luke but it ends kind of abruptly maybe Luke wrote another edition and it was lost to us many of the writings of those days were were lost or destroyed as the church was under persecution but all that to say our bible has what it has and has enough that we can know Jesus from it. And that's what's important. So Luke was a detailed historian. And then secondly, Luke is a dedicated, was a dedicated servant of Christ. We'll 
look at, at the whole scope of Acts throughout you know, the next year plus, but a, a real quick run through and pretend you know nothing about Acts, and maybe you do know very little, and that's okay. Acts begins with the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven after his resurrection, and then it goes to the, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and in Jerusalem and what happened to the apostles right there and how the church began and grew very quickly during those first weeks and months of, of the church. The church literally began right there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And then sometime later, as the growth happened, so did the persecution began to increase and there was a, a stoning of a man named Stephen. And after that, the church was dispersed into the world, which God always wanted them to do to get out there into all of the world. But they were having such a great time being in the church in Jerusalem, they maybe forgot that for a little while. But they, and then Luke tells us the story about someone named Philip, what happened to him. Luke tells us a lot about Peter and what happened to him as, as the clear leader in the early church, or at least among one of the leaders. And then he introduces someone named Saul, who eventually changed his name to Paul, and what happened with him. And how there was... He eventually got called into ministry and was, was called to start churches throughout the Roman world and his adventures in doing so. So basically the second half, a little more than the second half of this book, is about Paul. But there's a whole lot before then about the other apostles, the other events. Now, I say all that to say when you get to the 16th chapter of Acts, prior to that, Luke, the author, when he talks about Paul and the apostles, he would refer to them, you know, and they went here and there, and they did this, and this happened to them, okay? Because he wasn't there. He wasn't a witness to it. There's a key moment in the 16th chapter that you could read right past and not see. So the 16th chapter of, of Acts, beginning at the 6th verse, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word, the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of, a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That is the first time in the book of Acts there is a first-person reference. We, us. That means Luke was with them. Luke didn't, Luke was very humble. He didn't want to make it about him. He didn't want to say, and I was so blessed to be there when Paul had this dream and then we went forward. He just kind of nonchalantly goes from they and them to we and us. So it is likely or certainly possible that Luke was from the town of Troas, joined in and then accompanied them to Macedonia and eventually to a place called Philippi, which is something you do with fruit. I, I can never resist that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Philippi is the name of a city, and it is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And um, so the Philippian church, and that letter to them, was, was so, is so positive. 
If you want positivity in the Bible, go to Philippians. If you want encouragement and joy, go to Philippians. It's a a great letter. So it makes sense that Paul would leave Luke there. Let's assume for a moment that he was a new believer. You need to get around these people. These people are encouraging. These people are positive. These people, he wouldn't have done that in Corinth. They were a mess. They were just all over the map. And, you know, you don't want to go there and learn from them. Go to Philippi and learn from them. So apparently he left them there. Paul then continued because in the 17th, 18th, and 19th chapter, as Luke writes, it's back to they, them, there, somewhere else. He's still in Philippi. Okay? Paul moved on to places like um, Athens and Corinth and, and Ephesus in the 17th and 19th chapters. And we'll get to that in detail, you know, at some point. <clears throat> but Then eventually, he was rejoined with them in the 20th chapter, just the 5th and 6th verses. It says this, uh, these men went on ahead and waited for us, now he's first person again, at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later, joined at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So from the 20th chapter to the end of the book, Luke is with Paul, and Luke is a first-person eyewitness to all that happens, including, and that, that's when everything happens with um, his, his, this trial and this, these, these appeals that he was making eventually leading him to Caesar and to Rome. Luke was with him the entire time, and we'll see why in a moment. Um, so, so this is um, the fact that Luke was, was there and writing about it, he was dedicated servant of Christ to continue to do that. And then the next thing that, that Luke was is a doctor. He was a doctor to Paul. Um, I have a direct connection with that even more so today. Um, I, I was debating whether or not I was going to share this with you, but I will. Um, everything's fine. I, I was at St. Luke's Luke <laughs> Hospital yesterday with some doctors, because I had a, a situation. And um, basically, I've been um, working with, dealing with uh, high blood pressure for like 20 plus years. And so most of that time, I've managed it pretty well. And um, once in a while, there's a spike. Well, yesterday morning, there was a spike. I have a monitor at home, and it wouldn't come down. And I didn't know why. And I wasn't having any scary symptoms of heart disease and stroke. I know what those are. You know, that wasn't happening, but this blood pressure was just through the roof. And so my doctor's office was open, and I called them, and they said, Paul, just go to the ER, get checked out. I said, okay. And um, they were quite busy over at St. Luke's in Bartonsville, but um, thankfully they did tests and all that. They said, there's no damage, nothing's wrong. Go back to your doctor, he'll adjust your meds, and they gave me something. And it's, it's come down, it's, it's, it's better today, and we'll, we'll get it adjusted. So I'm glad for doctors. I'm glad for doctors, St. Luke's. Now, why did they name that hospital, that hospital system, St. Luke's? Colossians 4, 14. Paul is, as he does in many of his letters, he writes greetings at the end of his letter. And that's another part of the Bible we gloss over quite often. Okay? Just give me the advice, God. Here, here's what I need to do. You know, and that's good. That's helpful. But, you know, these names matter because it's real people. And if they weren't real people, then... The, the critics of the Bible would have more to work with, like, well, this is just, yeah, this guy's ideas, they might be helpful, but this stuff really didn't happen. 
Well, when you take the time to put real names and real greetings, why would you bother doing that if you were just, you know, writing philosophy or something like that? Okay? So, Colossians 4.14. Our dear friend, Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Paul wrote that most likely from Rome. At the very end of the book of Acts, he's in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar, the hearing before Caesar. And that, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, that could have been as long as two years or more. So what's he doing? He's writing. He can't go out. He can't leave. He's under house arrest, so it was probably fairly comfortable as, you know, as jail goes, you know. But, um, but he was able to have people come and go while he was there. And so he's sending these greetings so Luke is with him, as we know from the end of Luke, as I said a moment ago, from the 20th chapter on, he's there. Why is he with him? 2 Timothy 4.11 says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So there's Mark and Luke connecting. Mark and Luke, authors of the Gospels. Do you think they didn't trade notes? When you read Mark and Luke, they are very similar. They have similar sources to these stories and the places and the events and the things Jesus did and said. So it makes sense that they would communicate. Now, Matthew is similar too, so although it doesn't mention Matthew in Acts, interestingly, it's an assumption that Matthew was working with them or they with him. Okay? But so you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and then... But only Luke is with him when he writes this 2 Timothy letter. And then Philemon, another personal letter, verse 23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Luke, as a doctor, may very well have been attending to Paul in a very personal kind of way, almost more like a nurse. Now, we know from Paul's writings that he had a physical infirmity of some kind, that he prayed passionately for God to remove from him. And you may remember you know, that particular passage because earnestly, passionately crying out to God to relieve him of this, although he doesn't say specifically what it is. And you may remember what God said back to him. Basically, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is shown not through strength, but through weakness. That was the context of that phrase. Paul has an infirmity. So if he has a companion who is a doctor who would help care for him, there's Luke. And Luke would stay with them as Paul is getting older. He's under house arrest. His infirmity may have been his eyes dating back to his conversion experience when that blinding light and the voice of Christ came to him and he couldn't see for three days and then the scales fall from his eyes after those three days and he could see again, but there may have been lingering damage that got worse and worse with age because we know as Paul writes these letters, especially the later letters, he often says, I'm going to write this with my own hand now because he was dictating to someone else who would write for him. And there may have been other things associated with that, other illnesses, just because he was getting older, so he has a doctor with him, a personal physician named Luke. But all of this has to have a driving force behind it. 
Why are you going to go to the trouble to write the history in great detail? Why are you going to dedicate yourself to serve Christ and travel with these believers who, compared to the rest of their culture, were crazy? Crazy in the sense of why do you believe in a God that would die on a cross? That's nuts. Gods don't die and the foolishness. It's only one God. You must be pretty weak to have only one God. And, and all those things, not to mention rejection by the Jewish people who didn't believe for the most part that he was the Messiah. So why do you go to all that trouble and then to care for this man passionately as a doctor? Because Luke was a man driven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Driven by that truth, that knowledge. And he says there in Acts 1-3 about the many convincing proofs that he, Jesus, was alive. That's, that's key. That's central. That's foundational. The resurrection of Jesus. And on your outline, I, I laid these out. I'll just real quickly review them, but it's important to look at them as a whole. These are all of the, the times in Scripture where there was an eyewitness to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, okay? So Paul mentions there the convincing proofs. Some of those, excuse me, Luke mentions that. Some of those he wrote himself. Others were written by the other writers of our New Testament. So the day in which Jesus arose, we have, and this is what we most typically read about on Easter, the women who first went to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James, Salome, Johanna, those are listed differently depending on which of those three Gospels you look at. But what's interesting too is um, all of the Gospels, including John, mention Mary Magdalene. The others kind of interchange some of the other names. Okay, but Mary Magdalene is the first one listed. So she's a pretty prominent person. Later that same day, Two of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus has a conversation with them and they don't realize it's him right away until they sit down and have a meal with him and they see the scars. The 11 disciples then, that evening, also see him together except for Thomas. And that's written about in Luke and in John and mentioned in 1 Corinthians in 15. Um... Now, a week later, Jesus appears to the 12 again, excuse me, the 11. There's no longer Judas, so there's 11. And Thomas is there this time. He was doubting Thomas. He didn't want to believe the first time. They told him, I wasn't there. I don't believe you. Till I see it, till I touch him, see the scars, touch the, the nail holes in his hands. So that was a week later. Then, sometime after that, not sure how long, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other disciples went fishing. And that's recorded in John 21. And they're out in the water, and Jesus is on the beach, and he tells them to catch their nets on the other side, which was like, should have been a trigger for them, because that's how it all started. <laughs> okay? And they got a big catch, and they came to the shore, and there's Jesus cooking breakfast for them. And then only Paul mentions this in the 15th chapter. 500 brothers and sisters at one time that Jesus appeared to. That's all we know. That's all it says. I'd love to know the detail of that, but that's all the word gave us. And then he also mentions James, probably the brother of Jesus. Obviously, there is a James as one of the apostles, the brother of John. But the fact that 
Earlier in that same chapter, the Apostle Paul mentions the twelve, or the apostles. So that James, the brother of John, would be included in that grouping. Separate from that grouping, he mentions another James, probably the brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, which I personally think is very significant. That, that, that Jesus would go to his brother. He had several brothers and some sisters, you know, born to Mary. And so, and let's assume for a moment that, that James was the next in line, the, the oldest of his younger siblings, who had to grow up with an oldest brother who was perfect. <laughs> wow, that was tough. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you are a younger sibling, you know, it's, it's very typical to grow up, think, you know, almost resenting the oldest sibling. They get all the breaks. They get everything. Mom and dad love them the most. And maybe you don't say that, but you're going to feel that sometimes. You know, and I'm, I'm the fifth of six, so I, you know, I, I get that. I, I could see those things and those tendencies. And as a dad, I, you know, we can see why that at least looks that way some of the time. Okay. But the resentment that probably grew among those siblings about Jesus and eventually, at least James became a follower and a leader in the church. And that was huge. So that Jesus would take the time to go to him after his resurrection and say, James, I'm here. I, I, I'd, I'd love to see that in a movie. I, I'd love to see that for real. I, I think in heaven, God's going to have all kinds of you know, replays going on. So we can see. I, I hope so. I don't see why not. You know, the, the living word, it lives forever. So we can somehow go back and see it, you know, and, and, and see that moment where the risen Lord goes to his brother who probably resented him his whole life. In fact, there's hints in the gospels that, remember they came to Jesus and said, you're crazy. We need to, to rescue you. You're going you're gonna to get yourself killed. Even his mother at times felt that way. Okay. So Jesus took the time to go to his brother and show himself. And wow, that's cool. And the last one then is Ascension Day itself, which you can read about at the end of Matthew, the end of Luke, and we'll get to next week a little more detail that Luke gives you know, in the verses forward in Acts chapter 1. That's it, but that's a lot. This is the proofs that he was indeed alive. So who was Luke? He's a man who was detailed about his history. He's a man who was dedicated to the work of the gospel of Jesus. This was a man who was a doctor and passionately helped, especially Paul, an older man suffering probably from you know, poor and declining vision. But most of all, he was driven. He was driven by the fact and the truth of the resurrection and eternal life that Jesus exemplified. He came back from the grave so that we can share in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for calling a man like Luke who gave us these words we share together in 2,000 years later so that we too can believe, so that we too can rest in, in the the historic truth and fact that Jesus, the Son of God, who came, lived, died, and suffered, and rose again for us is real, is true, and we can embrace him in our hearts. In your name, 
Amen.